I speak to you in the name of the one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Before we begin, I want to assure you that Rob has affirmed to me that uh, for my first preaching engagement, uh, it was only coincidental this gospel was present. Thank you. Today we explore what it means to serve God and how we do so in a world that is sometimes not kind or helpful. To help us dive into this, I feel like I have to tell you all a little something about me. First off, I want to say how blessed I am to be here at St. John's Church. As you may already be aware, my wife Anna is also a priest in the Episcopal Church, which is bittersweet because we share something special as a couple, but together we won't get many opportunities to be present in this space on a Sunday morning. And my daughter Yara, who is 19 months, mostly tags along with her because options for care are just closer to home. And we are all happy to be a part of the St. John's family. And with that, you should know that you'll also be getting another member soon, as we are awaiting an addition of another coming this spring. So I was born in Georgetown, Guyana, in South America. I was there for 18 months before my family moved. The plan was to move to the States so my older brother and I can have greater opportunities. In preparation for coming to North America, we settled a few countries west of where we were, in Colombia. And we were in Colombia for a few years. Fun fact, my first language is actually Spanish. About five years later, we made our way to North America. There, my life in the church started at a young age, beginning with the youth choir, and then later as an acolyte, and then basically doing anything else just to make sure that church went by faster. Anything that basically kept me on a rota. Now, it did take me a while to become ordained. I always felt that this vocation is something that I had to decide for myself rather than somebody telling me that I needed to do it. Also, I truly do value the necessity and the importance of lay leadership. However, I later felt I was called to a great responsibility. And for those who know me would probably also know I'd follow that by saying, of course, with great power comes great responsibility. But this great responsibility that I had, that I felt the call for, is where my faith and representation intersect and where they contribute to this thing that we call church. One of my biggest regrets in life, it comes from what I mentioned earlier. I had a special gift. I lost it. I wasted it. Now, I know I shouldn't be hard on myself. I was almost six years old, and it's hard to not feel guilty about it, but I, I still do. 
Arriving in the late 1980s to our new home in South Central Los Angeles, as a young black boy, I was the only one in my neighborhood that spoke Spanish. Nobody knew what to do with me. And so I drew a lot of negative attention. It got so bad that I just wanted to be left alone. I spoke only English, and I left my Spanish behind. Well, the funny thing is that over the last 20 years, that same landscape is now so different that if that were to happen now, I'd of course have no problems. Now, I took all the Spanish classes from high school to college, and nothing came out of it for me. That special window for me in learning another language during child development was closed and never opened again. It's also uh, uh, nobody's fault that uh, the post-communion anthem at the earlier service was in Spanish. <laughs> I held that close to my heart, too. So today's gospel, come on, let's be real. It's a bit of a mess. But it shows us how we serve God and how we do so in a world that is sometimes not kind or helpful. Now what may jump out for most of us in this text may be the last portion that tells us we cannot worship God and money. No one can serve two masters. Now this is true and it's something that we can clearly see. However, there is something else below the surface that may, may be harder to make out and it has a larger foundation. Jesus tells a story of a dishonest manager who is in danger of being fired by his master. He has a small window of time to save himself before the master comes and he devises a plan to make his life better. First, he's honest with himself. Knowing he doesn't want to beg or do manual labor, he finds a way to take matters into his own hands. He calls the people that owe his master money and reduces their tab in order for his master to have cash in hand as he arrived. Mind you, his master didn't see any money before any of this happened. The boss, his, his master, is pleased, calling this manager shrewd, or in our context, prudent, or even practical. None of this was honest. None of this was probably even legal. And studies do show this boss, like many other business owners of the time, may have charged exorbitant interest to buyers because they were uneducated or they just didn't know any better. So why does Jesus use this as an example for discipleship? It's because the manager knew the master was coming and the master was coming for judgment and what he did, he did to get a better life and to please his master. 
He did not waste the opportunity given to him and acted with the time he had to change his fate. Now, might be a bit of a stretch. It might be a little hard to swallow. But let's look at where we actually find this parable. In the previous chapter of Luke, Jesus tells us about the prodigal son, a tale of a son who squandered his inheritance, but after learning a hard lesson, turns his life around and comes back home, admitting that he was wrong. We then have our gospel for today, where the master learns his employee squandered his property, but the manager finds a way to turn it around, making good use of what was given to him. Now, later in the chapter, Jesus tells the story about a rich man and Lazarus. Both die. Lazarus is in heaven, but the rich man who didn't do anything with his wealth looks at Lazarus with envy and now lives in agony. Jesus tells us these stories to paint a picture. And these pictures typically represent various extremes. Now, using dishonest characters is just another way of showing us that Jesus is here for everybody. Similar to how last week he confirmed, yes, he will be present for sinners and tax collectors. Now, this world is complex, and we could never be perfect. There will always be situations and experiences that put distance between us and God. And some of us recognize that as sin. But Jesus shows us an effective way where we can close that gap and serve God. When we become aware of our sins and turn our lives back to God, or when we use our time wisely because we don't know the day or the hour when the master will come. And especially when we don't squander the gifts or the responsibilities that we have. Now, I know it's not official and conversations about stewardship are coming up, so I just want to throw that in there for you as well. These are ways we serve God. And we're meant to do so over and over again. Because the world we live in is not a place of absolutes. There are times when it's neither kind nor helpful. Serving God in these ways is an ongoing practice. One might even say it's Christian. My regret about not keeping my Spanish language may not have been so dramatic, but it forced me to change my identity and gave me a different narrative that was not entirely my own. I squandered my gift, and as the window for me to retain it grew smaller and smaller, the more difficult it became to see it through. Does that mean that it's over for me? No. But I still have to be faithful in my goal. And I have to use my time wisely. 
Jesus is still telling us that there is still time. Time to turn our lives around. Time to be intentional with our relationship with God. Especially if we want a better life. Now, it doesn't matter if it's honest or dishonest, if it's legal or illegal. Redemption comes to those who work for it. Redemption comes to those who serve God. Amen.